0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind, and I love my work, the opportunity to talk with remarkably enlightened people about things that really matter to all of us. And honestly, the most fun I have is when I hear from listeners I've never met, often from places I've never visited, who've been touched by our Humankind program. The grants we get from the funders you hear named on our program simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep the program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special documentary project, Resilient Nurses, is supported by the Compassionate Care Initiative at the University of Virginia School of Nursing and by the Humankind Program Fund.
1: You think that this is your calling in your career and and then you get into it and it's much different than it appears. Um, It's much more emotionally draining and physically hard and you have to try and navigate and figure that
0: out the high-pressure work lives of nurses who staff the front lines of our health care system. You're listening to a Humankind special, Resilient Nurses. I'm David Freudberg. (music) With more than six registered nurses for every physician in the States, nurses spend far more time with patients than doctors. Nurses are drawn to a role that provides comfort and care for others and that can make a tangible difference in people's lives.
1: I began my career about 12 years ago, and I think as any nurse gets into this profession, you you know, sort of put on your superhero cape and you step off and you're ready to save the world, and that's exactly what I was going to do.
0: Chris Griffin is a nurse educator on the pulmonary unit at Children's Hospital Colorado outside Denver.
1: When you're in school, you go to clinicals, and, you know, you, you're around experienced nurses, and they, they, you know, some of those nurses are burnt out or angry, or and you just say, I'm never going to be that nurse. And so I put on my superhero cape, and... Um, stepped onto the unit and I just took everybody's pain and suffering on. And within literally two years, I was almost completely burnt out. I definitely had compassion fatigue. I was on antidepressants. I was um, struggling as a new mom. I had um, two children of my own. My husband, who was very compassionate and very patient with me, you know, our relationship was suffering and really almost just left nursing altogether because I felt like I wasn't strong enough, that I didn't have what it took to be you know, um, a nurse and continually give to other people.
0: In this program, we'll examine the substantial challenges of contemporary nursing and we'll consider some specific techniques nurses use to foster their resilience. Healthcare in America is projected to face rising demand. Baby boomers are reaching the age when people tend to consume sharply more care. At the same time, millions of newly insured people have entered the system, and a growing number of patients are battling chronic conditions from heart disease to cancer, diabetes to obesity. So the pressure on healthcare providers is mounting.
1: I can't explain how exhausting it is to be a nurse on an inpatient unit. There's a physical thing where you're constantly running. Um, our nurses forget to take drink water during the day. Um, our nurses don't take bathroom breaks. Our nurses have to be almost forced to take a lunch break, which you can't imagine over a 12-hour period not meeting your own basic needs. But when you step away from the unit, there's that, what's going to happen to my patients while I'm gone? I know my patient the best. I need to be there. And so they carry that tension with them.
0: Chris Griffin and her colleagues work in a hospital where the patients are sickly children, sometimes very young. In addition, nurses must attend to the needs and concerns of anxious families in circumstances where the stakes are high.
1: I actually had a couple back-to-back incidences that really took me completely down. Um, I had a mom um, who had a, her son was nine months old and he, we were pulling support from him. And she literally was holding him, stood up, handed him to me and said, I can't do this. You need to, don't leave him alone. I don't want him to die alone. And so she handed me her son. And that was 10 years ago. And I can still feel the emotions of that. And so I held this baby that I had just met literally probably two hours earlier and was with him when he passed away. And
0: he was in your arms.
1: He was in my arms. And um, and a couple months later, um, I had a patient that I had grown really close to, and um, she was very, very special in my heart. And she had a surgery and was pretty fragile and had um, got an infection. And she also passed away, um, not in my arms, but surrounded by, you know, me and and her other nurses and her mom and her grandpa. And those two events back to back, um, I was broken. I I had nothing left.
0: While the majority of nurses report satisfaction with their careers, at times it's a very heavy lift. Work shifts often run 12 to 13 hours. This prompted the American Nurses Association to issue a position statement in 2014 about the consequences of nurse fatigue. It cited risk for medical errors and reduced job performance, as well as drowsy driving on the way home. Marion Tinsley, a former social worker, has been a nurse for a dozen years. She currently helps to admit and prep patients for surgery at the VA hospital in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts.
2: If you're doing 10- or 12-hour shifts, you know, it's brutal on your legs. You go home, you hear the cardiac bells in your head. I would hear that for, like, two hours, you know, driving home. I couldn't turn on the radio because I was still hearing the ding, ding, ding. (laughs) It would drive me crazy. It took at least two hours for the dinging to stop in my head, you know. And then the numbness in, in my legs from standing up all shift or, you know, most of the shift. You know, I used to get a lot of, you know, Mileage on my little pedometer thing on my belt, but, you know, it's like murder on my legs, though, you know. And I'm talking about a small area for the unit, but just walking back and forth, back and forth all day, you know, all shift, you clock a lot of, you know, foot miles with that, but it's murder on your legs.
0: Given this kind of grueling regimen, nurses often strain to juggle the demands of work with the rest of life. Marion has a son who is 13.
2: For me, when I was doing floor nursing, it was like the whole guilt as a mom of, you know, going home and being tired after a full shift and um, getting home after his bedtime and working on weekends and, you know, trying to see if he can be brought up so I can at least do lunch with him. And, you know, so that stuff, and and that adds to it. And, you know, it's it's the whole cumulative effect of, okay, I have to, something has to give and that's what you know eventually um made me decide that I had to leave the floor and go to the OR because it you know I went to the ambulatory OR um eventually because that provided nights and weekends off and I could actually participate in my own family. (laughs) You know, I could actually be, you know, my son's mom, like on a regular basis, cook dinner, weekends.
0: And nurses can be challenged not just by the draining work schedules or the inherent demands of caring for people who are sick. The professional culture among nurses can also wear them down. And more and more, American nursing is racially diverse, a factor that in certain cases can lead to friction within the staff. Marion Tinsley.
2: I always felt like uh, there was a certain level of stress that you just have to assume is going to happen as a nurse. And so when it happens, you know, it's not going to break my day. What would really um, get to me was kind of like not having my co-worker support that type of thing. When stress was definitely escalating. That's just how it was, because we had a pretty heavy floor. People were just busy. You know, I don't, and I never felt that it was unrealistic to expect um, just supports, co-workers as well as, um, you know, beyond coworkers, management and, and whatever else was, you know, was available.
0: I want to ask you if there have been cases of racial insensitivity that you have experienced. Mm-hmm among colleagues or perhaps even among between nurse and patient. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I know that's that's definitely a a hot topic. I I cannot say no to it. I will say that. Um not from the patient. I I've never felt it from a patient or uh to a patient, honestly. It's I felt it uh colleague definitely. As a black woman, it's it's not new. This, you know, the, the fact that, you know, someone feels like they they might be better than me, you know, simply because that, you know, that I'm African-American um, and it's not that they know anything about me at all other than what they see on the outside.
0: In today's rapid-paced healthcare environment, nurses dispense multiple medications, monitor high-tech medical devices, administer wound care, and engage in a host of interactions with vulnerable patients. Just keeping track of it all can be uphill.
3: We have many, many medications that we give, primarily intravenously through a central line um, that we need to do sterily.
0: Ashley Weber is a level four nurse providing bedside care in the Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders at Children's Hospital Colorado.
3: We're working with severely immunocompromised people that if you, you know, don't prep, you know, the insertion site with alcohol for as long as it needs to be. You could be introducing a bloodstream infection. Some of the medications we give, you'll read, you know, the adverse side effects or reasons that we would stop a certain study that a patient's on and it's death. And that's most of the medications that we give and blood products that we give. You're just waiting for that clearing of the throat to be an indicator that your patient's going to stop breathing. And then when we're at home and we see a phone call from work, we think, what did I do wrong? Who did I kill? What medication did I not give? What chemo didn't go in right? And we're looking at patients that each have easily 15 to 30 meds each in a 12-hour period.
0: This is the neurology and neurosurgery unit of the world-famous Cleveland Clinic, a massive hospital complex which employs more than 11,000 nurses. One fact of life here is that the Cleveland Clinic has an exceptionally large load of high-acuity patients, often people who are critically ill and may be the hardest to take care of. And with recent organizational changes, many patients now transfer from the intensive care unit more rapidly than in the past and need special attention.
4: The staff on my units is doing more with less staffing. they're definitely feeling the crunch of, you know, cost repositioning and cost effectiveness. Oftentimes, there's um, no one at the desk to answer the call lights or the phones. There's a lot of stress between coworkers where you know, that's not my job, this is your job, this is, you know, and so the cohesiveness starts to break apart the more stress that they're under.
0: Karen Fink works at Cleveland Clinic as a board certified holistic nurse and massage therapist.
4: Patient care nurse assistant may be called to see someone, but they're busy and so they have a buddy and then they have a nurse and then the nurse has a buddy and you get to the end and no one can see the patient. I've, I've been sitting at the desk charting and I'm like, wow, you know, I've had nurses who you'd never think would cry who've broken down in tears right at the desk. Because they just can't take in everything that's going on. So one of my units where the the nurses are just starting to fizzle out. We've had two people leave just in the last week. Wow. Because they can't handle it anymore.
0: Time pressure is a near universal complaint today for nurses working in healthcare institutions. Unsurprisingly, this rushed rhythm tends to hamper a nurse's ability to make a calm, healing connection with needy patients. How nurses interact with patients has been a core interest for Dorothy Jones, professor of nursing at Boston College and longtime director of nursing research at Massachusetts General Hospital.
5: The nurse is trying to look at the patient, their experience, how they're responding to it, um, what the meaning of the experience is to the individual, and hurry up, move this along is the uh, outside caveat, and you know, I don't know this patient. I don't know who they are. I'm teaching them in a very prescriptive way, but I don't know whether or not they've understood what I've told them. I don't know if their family understands what they've been told. I don't know how they're going to follow up when they get at home because it's only the the wife and her husband and they're older and Who's going to follow whom in terms of care? They don't have children. They have nobody living with them. It just becomes uh, very complex then for the nurse. And I think the added stress there is they don't see what happens next. They just are in the moment with the patient and the experience, and then they go. Patient
0: leaves. These problems are an all-too-common byproduct of how contemporary healthcare care is structured, and the system is breaking down according to Jean Watson, who served as dean of the University of Colorado School of Nursing in Denver. She's a highly respected voice for a more natural and caring approach to nursing and a passionate reformer of the current system.
6: It is still a very industrial model. It's product-driven. It's outdated with all the stresses of rushing, giving treatment, task skills, meeting demands, meeting, being accountable for the medical technology and being accountable for the bureaucratic institutional demands in contrast to being able to directly serve the patient as they are called to do. What's happening is to unravel that and the system just keeps putting more and more pressure on them. So it's a very high paced, high demand. That's compounded often with some of the difficulties of nursing itself. Nursing is hard on itself. Nurses are hard on themselves. They have a lot of pressures and they also have high expectations. They're very perfectionistic. They want to do everything right. So there's a lot of internal stress.
0: Now how about people who would say, but look, the person is sick. There are actual health care dollars that are being expended. There needs to be accountability in the system. There are errors. People are not necessarily always performing at the right level. What's wrong with feeling a little pressure to perform uh, appropriately?
6: Well, there's nothing wrong with performing appropriately, but, appropriate. Performance has to do with meeting the patient's needs and being accountable to the patient and all their technology and all their treatment and their demands and being accountable for the safety of protecting that person, being accountable for the correct assessment of that person, being accountable to know what the context is and the meaning that that condition has for the patient so that they're working appropriately to address that patient's needs. When they are disconnecting, it's when they are just running in and robotically having to fulfill a prescription or fulfill a technology without even seeing the patient because of the rush.
0: And going too fast to pay attention poses a threat to quality health care. Research shows that beleaguered providers have an increased risk of using the wrong medication or making an inaccurate entry in the medical record. And that, says University of Minnesota nursing professor Mary Jo Kreitzer, may impact patient safety.
6: I think it can if somebody is tired or if somebody's on autopilot. I think it does increase the potential for errors, but it also increases um, the likelihood that that nurse is not gonna be able to um, reach out and be perhaps as caring and supportive and empathetic um, to the patient um, as is desirable.
0: We're examining the challenges of nursing in today's stressful healthcare environment, along with some practical solutions. You're listening to a humankind special Resilient Nurses. I'm David Freudberg. If you'd like to obtain an audio copy of this program and learn about resilience for nurses, please visit humanmedia.org. When healthcare providers are overloaded, a consequence can be lowered levels of patient satisfaction. It can also aggravate worker burnout, and that's a real concern for nursing. A shortage of available personnel is projected to grow to hundreds of thousands within a decade. Some of this will result from a large cohort of nurses naturally reaching retirement age but other nurses leave clinical practice citing an unfriendly workplace or emotional distress related to patient care or just exhaustion. Reverend Julie Sweeney, head of chaplains at the University of Colorado Hospital in Aurora, counsels nurses in distress.
7: They're there for hours. They don't leave the unit and come back. They're there at the patient bedside interacting with patients and families. They're also... In between the patient and the physician, and so there's always been attention, and that's that's one thing. But when they've been working with a patient at the bedside for a long time, and then the patient codes or dies or has a very difficult time, nurses experience that they're in a relationship with the patient, and so um, that becomes a source of stress in and of itself.
4: 14 for a shooting at Century Theaters. They're saying somebody's shooting in the auditorium where
0: Batman was playing. Shortly after midnight, Friday, July 20th, 2012, a police dispatcher is fielding reports of gunfire at a cinema three miles from the hospital. There's 11 LB on, on the
3: east side. Somebody's still shooting inside theater number nine, per an employee. fourteen I need an ambulance at Explore Sable. I need an
7: ambulance at Sable. Copy. A number of the, the patients came here through the emergency room and then were in, on our units. Um, it involved many of our staff, many of our very experienced staff. A huge piece of the trauma was the volume and the pace. It, it, it was so much of it.
0: How many patients came in? 21. With gunshot wounds?
7: Yeah, and, you know, they didn't just come by ambulance. They came by police car, they came by any number of ways, um, into our emergency room. So, um, yes, there was a lot of that.
0: Needless to say, stressful for staff. Yeah. Eleven, we've got the back covered and the south
5: side covered. Team 6, we got another person outside shot in the leg of female. i got people running out of the theater
4: that were shot in
3: room 9. Copy, we'll let rescue know. They'll start more people.
8: The repercussions of that event continue to play out for Folks at University Hospital.
0: Reverend Lucas Novak is also a staff chaplain at
8: University of Colorado Hospital. I was covering the burn trauma unit and the orthopedic and rehab units. Um, so the majority of those folks that were admitted were on those units, um, and I came on service when they were coming out of sedation, and so there were victims that uh, thought they were back in the movie theater and were trying to crawl out of bed because they could see the shooter right there.
0: Healthcare professionals are trained to respond to emergency medical needs. But the events unfolding that night were enough to shake the staff at University Hospital. The shooting spree at the theater left 12 killed, 58 others injured. The accused gunman was a 24-year-old with a degree in neuroscience. He'd been buying up semi-automatic guns and thousands of rounds of ammunition.
8: Some of the the hardiest and um, most interesting people I have ever met on that unit, seeing them so profoundly affected by the trauma of another was at once heartbreaking and humbling. You know, this this one nurse that I had gotten to know quite well, and uh, he was trying to navigate both... The, the work stress of having multiple patients with very complex issues and, and needing to be in each room at the same time, as well as the trauma of here's somebody that is a teenager that was going to see a movie with their friends and, and was shot all over their body. And, you know, what do you do with that? And not only how do you enter that room to care for that person, but how do you stay in that room? When everything about it is telling you get out of here, this is too much. You know, for the for the patients, there isn't anything that I could have done in those days other than simply remind them you are in a safe place, that they are out of harm's way, that everyone around them is is safe and caring for them, uh, and then with. Traumatized families, you know, parents that didn't know which way was up um, had never imagined having to make the kinds of medical decisions that they had to, um, you know, for the benefit of their child.
0: Everyone was anguished in the aftermath of the movie theater shootings. Although some nurses and other providers actually performed their best work in crisis, the extent of the tragedy left many staff members reeling. Chaplain Lucas Novak counsels providers.
8: Well, they share that they can't sleep. Um, They share that they've had to reroute their way to work because they can't drive by the movie theater. Um, They share that they can only handle so much or so many patients of a certain type, you know, victims of either gun violence or, um, or burns. You know, I've had nurses say, "I can only handle car accidents." You know, I can't do, I can't do anything else, because it hurts too much. It hurts too much, and it and it reminds them too much. You know, I think seeing those types of cases reminded those nurses of how they were in that situation, of how flooded they were and traumatized they were, um, and I think that was too painful a memory of themselves to get back to.
7: So much of of real health care is about how we engage suffering.
0: Hospital chaplain Julie Sweeney.
7: And nursing is particularly attuned to this. And to engage the suffering of another and means you have to engage the suffering in yourself. And some nurses are so able to tap into that in a really lovely, strong, courageous way.
0: What do you mean when you say to engage the suffering in yourself?
7: Before you take the patient's pulse, take your own pulse. Um, To really be clear about what the nature of your own suffering is in the moment, whether it's made up of, of fear, maybe it's made up of uncertainty, maybe it's made up of a lack of of a vision of the future, of what's, what's, where's this going, what's going on here. Some of our nurses were Columbine High School uh, kids who are now nurses here. Um, so, you know, there have been multiple traumas through the years.
0: So they were students at Columbine High right. when the massacre occurred there. Right. And they join a nursing staff right. at a hospital and see yet another wave right. of these horrible Gunshot wounds.
7: Exactly, including being emergency room nurses.
0: Did those people need support and counseling?
7: Well, the the I'll tell you, the staff um, and the administration were incredible um, in terms of having you know setting people aside, saying if this is too much, you can't do it. We had staff people whose family members were in the theater. We had staff members who were at the theater, you know, who weren't shot, but they were there. It had ripple effects. Um, I would say that, you know, that, that adage that, you know, when something big happens to you, you have to tell it about 40 times before it settles down. They needed to say what all of their senses were assaulted by. They needed to talk about what they saw, what they heard, what they smelled, what they experienced, because it, it it's all of your senses at the same time. And when you're aware of that and then you're aware of what's happening to you, you can locate yourself in a way that hopefully then you're able to then tend to the suffering of another.
0: Reverend Julie Swaney of the University of Colorado Hospital in Aurora. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose. Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, and Mark Kilstein. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Amy Moon and Carmi, Sarah Banson, Art Cohen, and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media.
6: To purchase a
2: CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website, where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase
5: a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org.
0: This segment, Resilient Nurses, Part 1, is Humankind Program Number 219.
5: The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.